Welcome to Focused on Forward. The purpose of this podcast is to focus on recovery from life situations, be it a disease, chronic or acute, perhaps the loss of someone so dear to you in death, or a change of life patterns that has affected you so profoundly that you have no choice but to find your new normal and become focused on moving forward. Each episode is designed to show the positivity that people bring to each and every one of their stories, the successes they've had, ways that they have become so definitively focused on moving forward. We look forward to sharing their stories, and we hope that they inspire you just as much as they have inspired us. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to Focused on Forward. Today we're talking with Stacy Schiara and we're very excited to have Stacy here. Uh, Stacy's talking with us today about addiction and her journey through addiction and uh, her sobriety. So we're actually really excited about this because um, over the course of the podcast, we're going to have several people who are going to come on and talk about their addiction. And why that's important is because everybody's addiction is different. Uh, how they got into their addictions, how they dealt with their addictions, how they got out of their addictions. Uh, those are all very individual stories for each and every one of them. So Stacy, we're excited to hear about your journey. So please, whenever you're ready, share with us. Well, thank you for having me. And we'll start at the very beginning. Um, my journey actually has two parts to it. The first part happened 24 years ago, if you can believe it. Um, and, and no, actually, I'm wrong. I'm sorry. It's <laughs> That's okay. It's your story. You get to tell how you want. It was, it was 19. I'm sorry. 19 years ago. You can edit that out or something. <laughs> um, for me, my journey started uh, when I was living in Minnesota. And I had had a new group of friends who just kind of did the normal uh, you know, 22, 23-year-old thing of hanging out and whatnot. And to be clear and upfront, uh, right away, my, my drug of choice happened to be cocaine. And uh, f- for me, um, you know, there was no, I, you know, there was no real gateway. Uh, that's one of the things that a lot of people ask me, what was your gateway? And there really wasn't anything for me. Um, a lot of the other drugs didn't appeal to me, you know. Um, now, I am a smoker. I do drink a lot of caffeine. So, of course, you can see that stimulants are my thing. You know, um, alcohol, marijuana, no thank you. You know, they just make me tired, put me to sleep, and make me feel hungover. <laughs> um, I think the real problem started for me is when I started uh, dating my dealer. Um, and then it was kind of this all access, you know, no fee f- freedom to explore, which is bad when you have impulse control issues. Um, after a little while, uh, you know, the, the drugs intensified. Um, and, and to be honest, uh, it, he was also uh, into methamphetamines, uh, commonly known as speed. And I learned uh, the very dangerous mixture of uh, cocaine and methamphetamine put together and learned how to stay awake for three to five days. Not fun oh. Oh, <laughs> in <man>. hindsight. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but also, uh, the methamphetamines, um, have, have a very dangerous side effect of, of rage and anger, uh, when you go through withdrawals. And I was on the receiving end of that from him and it was a very abusive relationship, but due to the addiction and, 
uh, the fact that, you know, he had done the divide and conquer where I had no friends and no family and there was really nowhere to me, you know, for me to go. I couldn't get help. I couldn't get away from him. And, um, you know, and it was just this awful cycle, which was ended up being broken, uh, when we were both arrested. Um, I think that part of my unique story is my arrest saved my life, not necessarily from the drugs, but from him. And for that, I'm grateful. Um, a lot of people don't know that I'm actually grateful for my arrest. Um, <laughs> I did receive a sweetheart deal, which anyone who's been in any trouble with the law knows what that is, <laughs> for those who aren't. A lot of times when couples are arrested and one is a more instrumental role like me, um, you know, they're kind of used, uh, the prosecutor wants to use the testimony against, you know, the ringleader or the more active participant. And, you know, and they offer kind of a plea bargain and whatnot. And um, I know that <laughs> it's important to note that I was facing three felonies. Um, one was for possession, one was for intent to distribute, which that's a drug trafficking charge. Um, and the other was for a, a gun charge. And it's interesting to note, um, it, this is one of the things that got me interested into law. While those things were not in my physical possession. They were in the car that I was in. And so they were within arm's length, arm's reach. And so therefore oh, they argue that it's within my control. And <laughs> so, um, so I got down to Florida. Um, and one of the first things I did, uh, to keep myself out of jail, cause I was smart enough to know this, um, uh, and the reason why it was important for me to keep myself out of jail was I was facing mandatory minimum sentencing guidelines of at least 86 months in prison. And so that got my attention. And yeah, that's so an eye catcher I, for sure. It is. It is. And so the first thing I did was I went out and I got a job. And for all of us old timers that, that remember the blockbusters and the Hollywood videos of America, I worked at Hollywood video and video was a good place to be when you're a kid it, it really was but and and as an employee um you right, know we get all right. we get we would get all the new releases before right. they came some out per some perks for it absolutely and um i followed that the na way of change your people your places your things and the next thing i did was i got into school and i found a program that was an introductory kind of not even introductory, I don't want to call it that. Um, so for law, I'm, presently, I'm a Florida registered paralegal. And to be a paralegal, you don't actually need any formal uh, training. You just have to work under the guideline, you know, under the supervision of an attorney. However, there's many, many programs. You can get a certificate, which is like a six week program. You can get your associate's degree, which is you know what I was looking at at the time. You can go on to get your bachelor's and you can go on to get your master's. You can become certified. You can become a Florida registered. There's all these different you know, unique ways of expanding your horizons in the law field without actually going to law school. And for me, uh, I did not have a very good experience in high school. I, I was bullied a lot. I switched schools a lot. Um, I was expelled sometimes. So for me, you know, school was not my favorite thing. I ended up not actually graduating from high school, but getting my GED instead. So when faced with this aspect of school, I wanted something small and obtainable. And a two-year degree seems very small and obtainable. And 
so I started in uh, with my paralegal degree and I, you know, I, I started doing uh, meetings, which at this time I was not obligated to do them. Um, you know, I was still working my way through the court system. <coughs> Excuse me. And I figured that it was, you know, best to kind of jump right in. And I had a, my, my very best friend down here went with me because I, I was actually too too scared to go by myself. I, I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know, you know, I mean, I've, everyone's heard of Alcoholics Anonymous. No one's, you know, it, it, no one's, it's not as, well, back then, <laughs> it wasn't so freely talked about. And, you know, so I, I, I kind of had um, a preview of what was to come. You know, I went, I went to the meetings by choice. For me, my first time through addiction, well, my first time through getting clean and sober, was easy because of the way it happened. You know, changing my people, my places, my things. I came from a different state. I didn't know anyone. And I obviously, you know, had no connections down here. Um, it was very easy the first time. And that's very important because karma kind of came back and kicked my butt. <laughs> and I had to learn this a second time. Um, so I went 16 years drug-free. You know, I did what I had to do to get through the courts. Um, I, you know, I... I actually had withheld adjudication. I went back, I had my complete record expunged, which was phenomenal. It, it allowed me the opportunity to continue on, you know, with, with anything I can, I can pursue anything and I have no criminal background. That's awesome. And yes. And, and it did take a lot of hard work. Um, but not really like I, you know, it was, it was amazing to me to see how well I could do when given I don't want to say it's not given the opportunity. I had the opportunity the whole time, but I had a little bit better motivation this time. Um, you know, I wanted to be able to prove to the courts, hey, I'm a good person. And, and it was interesting because by the time I did that, you know, I had my associate's degree and, and I graduated with my associate's degree with honors, which I was pretty proud of myself for that because I didn't know I was possible. You know, I was like, what? I have a brain. Well, for someone who doesn't <laughs> like school and you know, that's, that's pretty awesome. Right. And, and then I surprised myself even further um, by wanting to go on and get my bachelor's degree. Um, it, I, you know, I was just sitting there with my degree and I said, I can take this another step further and it's only two more years. And at the time I was, I was married to the military and my, my husband at the time deployed a lot. Um, so I kind of had a lot of time on my hands. <laughs> and so I went back and, you know, and I got my, my second degree and uh, imagine this, I, I graduated with my bachelor's magna cum laude. And that was one, of, here's, here's one, of, it's a little bit of a side note, but I, I think that it's important uh, being focused on forward. Um, I wrote back to the judge that that went ahead and get, and granted my expungement, um, and as well as the judge that I had originally, um, two different judges. Um, the first one, Judge Lynch, which was scary because his last name was Lynch, <laughs> and the second one, <laughs> the second one was Judge Stacy, which was really weird. Um, he's the judge that I went to before my expungement hearing, and he was making jokes. Like, here I am, afraid, my future's on the line, he has to make this decision, and the first thing he says to, says to me is, oh, your name's Stacy. If you married my son, you'd be Stacy Stacy. And I was like, uh, do I laugh at that? And what, what am I, what's going on? It was very surreal. Uh, 
Well, yeah, on the other hand, though, it's at least for me, I always find it uh, nice when somebody's able to cut tension with humor. So for me, yes. I, I probably would have laughed a little bit. Yeah. I don't know how much I would have laughed uh, in that <laughs> instance, but yeah, looking back on it, I think right. you find more humor than probably. Absolutely. Absolutely. But, you know, after going through that many years of school, um, you know, and I took, I was very lucky in the sense that my parents very much supported me going to school. And as long as I got good grades, which they never really qualified what good grades were, but I took it to mean that I had to get straight A's. Um, they allowed me to take any class I wanted as much as I wanted and they would pay for my school after I had proved, like I had to prove myself for the first couple of semesters when I was getting my associate's degree. But then beyond that, you know, they saw my success and wanted to foster that. So I was very lucky. I was very, very lucky for that. And, you know, and so I took all these classes that were even above and beyond what I needed for my degree. Um, and, you know, and I graduated, you know, with a bachelor's degree, I think I already mentioned this, but I'm very proud of the fact that it's magna cum laude. And I wrote back to, to that initial judge, knowing what that ju uh, judge Lynch, what he sees on a daily basis, um, repeat offenders, you know, I know that everyone kind of gets a second chance when, when you have that, that passive involvement or that instrumental involvement rather than you know the the primary involvement but I wrote out to this judge you know every single thing and accomplishment and where I was at in my life and and I thanked him for giving me that opportunity and it was amazing that I received this wonderful letter letter back from him just you know you're right I don't get to see this kind of success I thank you and it was a very cool moment and life went on that was in you know 2006 2007 life went on life went on life went on so then we come to, I believe it was 2017. You can't quote me on that because things are a little hazy here. Okay, no worries. And, <laughs> and I was in a different city. I had just married my, my current husband and we had this big house and we, you know, we had merged our homes, mine from St. Pete, his from Orlando. We were living in, in Winter Garden. Um, I was separated from all my friends, not, not by much. I mean, we're talking a hundred miles, but sometimes a hundred miles feels like a thousand. And well, it can be, especially, you know, you, you add distance there. It's yes. you're yes. trying to coordinate lives over a hundred miles. Yes. You know, that's, yes. that's a couple hour drive. So. Right. Yes. And, you know, and also just the fact that friendships change and, and that's something that, that no one teaches you when you grow up that, you know, um, I, you know, I have a very best friend who we danced together for years and years and years and years and years. And it, it, you know, and she got remarried, had, you know, had a the most adorable little daughter. Anyways, not the point. <laughs> it didn't, it, it didn't occur to me that our friendship was changing, not because of me or what I was going through, but because she wanted to spend time with her family and, you know, being childless myself by choice. Um, it, it, I don't, I don't have that realization. There's no, you know, realization that it's not that she doesn't want to spend time with me. It's that she has obligations to her family. So, right. so here I, yeah, she was doing, yeah, understood. Right. Okay. And so, so, you know, I'm, I'm in this and it's not really a new city because, you know, when, when Rick and I were dating, you know, he had always been in Orlando and I had always been in, in St. Pete. So I knew some of his friends, but, but then again, they were his friends. And, you know, so there was some loneliness and some whatever. And, you know, and I got a job up there that that was fine. And, and to, to get to the point, I'm stalling. <laughs> we no had worries. a lot. <laughs> Take your time. 
We had a lot to do in this in this big house that that we built. Um, it, if I would have, if, if I could go back in time, I, I would have put my foot down a little bit harder that we did not need the house that, that we built. It was way too big, um, especially for two people who weren't planning on having kids, um, you know, don't have parents that are living with us. Don't, you know, there, there's just the two of us and some dogs. I was very overwhelmed with the amount of work that the upkeep and maintenance on this house took. Um, while I certainly... I am always an open book. I, I do reserve my husband's privacy. So I just want to, I, I, there needs to be kind of at least said that, that he was struggling with some things uh, emotionally and he wasn't able to be um, a full-time participant in, a, in some of the things that went on in our, in our home. Okay. So, Fair enough. So I kind of, I, I took the brunt of unpacking and cleaning and doing the yard work and, um, a lot of the maintenance and, and it was exhausting. And at the same time, you know, because I had taken a pay cut going up, you know, to the Orlando area from the Tampa Bay area, I wasn't making as much money. So I was also teaching dance like four or five times a week in a studio that was about an hour away from the house. And I was still maintaining this is crazy. In the beginning, I was driving all the way back down to St. Pete to come down to my studio where my friends were and still driving back the same night. So it was a two hour drive oh, man. down. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yes. And, and at the time, um, my stepdad, who was very, very sick, obviously he was still alive. Otherwise I wouldn't tell you that he was very, very sick, but you know, there was a lot of going to see my mom, going to help my mom, going to do this. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. So you had Just a jam-packed a, schedule and a yeah, lot going on. Yeah. yeah, there was there was a lot of irons in the fire, and I couldn't, you know, keep them all, um, you know, rotated and going at the same pace at the same time. And there was one weekend, um, unfortunately, at the time, uh, Rick's grandmother passed away, and he went up to the funeral, and I stayed back because I, there was really no need for me to go. Um, I didn't know her. I think I'd met her once and, you know, and I had work and, and, you know, Rick wanted to be with his family, which is fine. And here's the second part of my story. And this will be more detailed because this is the part that, that I'm shocked by. Okay. Um, I'm very open with people about uh, my addiction and, and being in recovery. Um, I think that one of the main things that I learned from the rooms is, you know, tattle on your disease as much as possible and you keep it at bay, you know, um, it doesn't sneak up on you and that sort of thing. So one of, one of the, the, one of my friends, one of the girls I worked with, um, I had been complaining about how I, you know, I was so tired. I had so much to do and blah, 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 blah. And she says, well, you know, I have these caffeine pills. They'll help you out. And I thought, well, shit. I'm like, caffeine pills, that's no big deal. I've, I've had those before. You know, the, the ones you get over the counter. That's not, I, mean, I drink 18 Mountain Dews a day. And I was like, yeah, sure. Okay. You know, give them to me, you know, whatever. And, you know, and I went home on a Friday night, you know, not even really thinking about it. I was like, well, let's see what these bad boys can do. And I looked at it and I was like, you know, this doesn't look like anything I've ever seen before. That was my first warning. That was a red flag that I should have known. An ignored but, warning, sure. Yeah. And I don't know if it was willful ignorance or unintentional ignorance. 
But I'm like, well, all right, you know, break it in half and chugged it with a Mountain Dew because, you know, caffeine on top of caffeine. And boy, did I get a lot done in the next 24 hours. <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm sorry, I shouldn't laugh, just the way you- No, that's, it, that's okay. <laughs> it's, it is funny. Um, what I didn't know is that um, I had just taken my first Adderall. And the reason why that's important- Oh, yeah. Yes. The reason why this is important is in 1998, 99, when I was going through my first round of active addiction, Adderall didn't exist. So I had no frame of reference. I wouldn't have recognized it. Now, of course, you know, I had, I had played around with some Ritalin back in 1998, but I didn't know, you know, I didn't know what it was. Yes. A different beast completely. And, and even at the time, even in those 24 hours, I didn't know what it was. I was like, you know, this is amazing. I've gotten so much done. I've done 18 loads of laundry. I've unpacked five rooms. I've, <laughs> I've mowed the lawn. I've trimmed the trees. I changed my car oil. I've done all the weed eating for the whole neighborhood. <laughs> and, you know, and, and still yet, you know, I, I, it just, it didn't dawn on me that there's no way that this was an over-the-counter type thing. And at the time she had given me, I think, I don't know, three, let's just say. It, you know, it was more than one, but I don't know how many, and I had only taken a half and, and, you know, and I, I went back to her and I was like, you know, geez, those, those, those are pretty good. You know, you know, what are that? What are they? And, you know, she told me and I'm like, they went now. <laughs> and once she told me, I knew exactly what it was. And I had this huge crisis of conscious because you remember 16 years of clean time or sobriety or whatever you want to call it 16 years did it just go down the toilet or because i didn't have you know the the conscious decision to use where did it fall you know am i okay or am i not okay and so I contacted, matter of fact, that very best friend that I was just telling you about that had the daughter. And I said, oh my God, what do I do? What, what do I do? Is, it, is this a relapse? Is this not? What do I need to do? What's going on? She calmed me down by saying, you know, there was no intent. You didn't intend to do it. You did not, you know, go out. and Didn't you know, actively hey. pursue. Correct. Now, I certainly, you know, was not smart, you know, when someone hands you something, you don't just blindly take it, but whatever. <laughs> And she did tell me, and I remember this very clearly. She said, but you can't do it again because now you know, and you should probably get back into some meetings. And she was right, except for the fact that, not, not except, no, nope, not going to say that. Um, the problem being, I still had all those irons in the fire. And now I'm in a new city where I don't know anybody. I, I'm... I don't even know the area that well. And I was too embarrassed to tell my husband what happened. I was too embarrassed to tell anyone what happened because I, I, there was, so, so that was, that was the second thing the you know, the shame and the guilt and the embarrassment, I should have known better than to ignore it. So you bared the burden of the shame. I did. And, you know, even though, even though I had talked to my, my, you know, best friend about it, um, you know, and she kind of, you know, she gave me the, 
you know, you can maintain your sobriety by moving forward because you didn't make this voluntary choice, you know, it just happened, um, you know, do the right thing. But there was no one, like I should have called, I should have called a sponsor, but at the time I didn't have a sponsor because during the times when I was married to the military, we moved around so much that I didn't have a regular sponsor by the time I got back to Florida. And my, you know, my pompous self thought, well, you know, at the time I got back to Florida, I'm like, well, I have 10 years of sobriety. I don't, I don't need a sponsor. Yes, everybody needs a sponsor. For anyone out there who is dealing with this, everyone needs a sponsor. You always need someone that has more experience, more clean time, more sobriety, more whatever than you, you know, no matter how long you've had. And about a month later, I found myself in the same position. Um, this time, I don't even think that, that my husband was gone. I think I just, you know, knew that there was too much to do and he couldn't assist me. And I was like, well, I got, I got a couple of those little things I got some left. pills over here. Yes. Yeah. And, and, that, and that was the other stupid thing. You know, I held, I held on, to, on to, yep. I held on to them once I knew what they were. And this, this started me down a, a very different road than my first. Um, you know, the first, the first addiction route was pretty simple. You know, I, I, I dated my dealer, or I, I guess I could say my boyfriend was a dealer. <laughs> you know, I don't know why I say I dated my dealer. I think I, think I try to put some distance between, I, I think you know, technically either way is fine because both yeah. are true, so. Yeah. Um, but this time it was a little bit different in the sense that, you know, um, it, it was kind of, there was no immediate consequence. Um, I didn't, you know, there was no physical abuse or there was no, you know, divide and conquer between me and my friends and whatnot. People just thought that I was really efficient all of a sudden. And one of the most heartbreaking moments was uh, the original girl who, who, you know, uh, provided me the caffeine pills. <laughs> Once she realized, like she had, you know, when I had went back to her and I was like, hey, you got any more? Hey. And it, it clicked. She was like, oh my God. Oh my God. She's like, I remember you telling me you're a recovering addict, you know, cause it's, you know, I tell people before we go to bars before, you know, cause I don't drink, I right, don't smoke, right, right. you know, and then she took that burden. It and I was like, oh. Yeah. And, and I, and I was like, Oh no, 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 no. It's not your fault. Oh no, 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 no. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. But do you have some more? And she's like, no, no, I, I can't be a part of this, which that's good. You know, but for me, instead of again, making the right choice, you know, I went back to, you know, well, hey, if I can't have, you know, this new drug of choice, I can go back to my original drug of choice. And, you know, and then that led me to a path where I had access to everything. And, um, and it took me many attempts and failures to get it right. And, uh, you know, to, to fill in the gaps, I did end up, you know, having to go to rehab again, and it was an awful experience the second time. It was nothing like the first time I went. Um, I should have made better choices in, in where I went and how I went and who, you know, I needed to be more on. And during this whole time, this, this whole relapse 
continued relapse, you know, success and failure, success and failure, success and failure. Um, it wasn't until I got back to St. Pete where I had friends in the program that I could, I, literally, I could text them and say, I need a meeting and someone would show up and take me. And, and even at that, that, that still wasn't guaranteed success. I went through, you know, give or take, um, I call it three years of hell, but, um, it's probably a little bit less cause my memory is a little, <laughs> little skewed, but what I came out with and I had to, I had to hit a true bottom, a very, very true bottom. And I think that it had to happen uh, in kind of in parallel with unfortunately what my husband was going through. Um, we took, you know, we both had to hit this bottom together, his not drug related, not alcohol related, nothing like that. Um, Understood, yeah. but when we truly hit the bottom, um, you know, I had, you know, I, I wasn't, I wasn't finding jobs that I could stay at because I'd go and I, you know, and, and I, you know, and I'd, I'd have my, my clean time for, you know, eight weeks or two months or something like that. And I would, and it would get back in my head. I can use just one more time. And then it would start everything all over again. And, you know, for me, I think the strongest thing that, that got me into and, and kept me, um, was this awful, awful year that we have been in as far as the world. But for me, um, I got a new job at the beginning of this year. And at the same time, my mom, um, I love her. Uh, she's a, a very wonderful Jewish mother. Um, <laughs> take from that what, what you will. Um, but she had left for a four month cruise around the world. And so I kind of didn't have that sometimes outlet, sometimes stress. Um, uh, my husband's mother was down here visiting. She is the most wonderful woman in the world. She's, I mean, just, just this adorable little wonderful, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I can't even describe her, but, but she's a very loving, caring, supportive, warm type woman. And I also had my, my aunt who, uh, she was down here at the same time too. So I had, I had a lot of good that happened all at once at the beginning of this year. And, and I had already, I already had some clean time on my side, but going into this year, I was like, I can't, screw this up. Um, I have been given, you know, by my higher power, I have been given all the tools, all the advantages, everything. I need to use them now. And one of the, one of the best things is I happen to have a therapist um, who understands addiction on a personal level. And so over the, you know, and I've, I've been meeting with him for years and he would walk me through, you know, every time that I would try and I would fail. He never made me feel guilty. Instead, he would say, okay, how are you going to fix this? Good therapist. And, you know, and, you know, so here I've had all these tools. I'm walking into January, new job, you know, um, you know, a lot of the stressors of my life taken out, um, a lot of good things coming in. And, you know, then two months into this year, we hit the pandemic. And my employer closed us down and sent us home um, March, it was March 19th. And 
here I am in the house and the first month was fine because, you know, we came home, we we're working, you know, we we're supposed to do two or three weeks, two or three weeks turned into two or three months. And all of a sudden one day, one of the, one of the things that, that I found remarkable was two or three months into this work at home. So April, May, April, May-ish, I had the realization that I did not have the urge to use at all in isolation. And that would have been the easiest time to use because I'm not expected to go anywhere. No one was really doing the, you know, let's talk on the phone thing because everyone's been so busy. Um, my job doesn't require Zoom meetings. So, you know, I, I could have, you know, looked like the whatever cat dragged in and no one would have known. Um, Additionally, my employer is very generous with their PTO time, so it's not like I would have, you know, raised any red flags if I took some time off. Um, and I was so proud of that, and I was so aware of that. And so, you know, yay! I get on, I, I get on my my virtual uh, video teleconference therapy session, and I'm like, guess what? You know, I I haven't had the desire to use. I was very excited, very excited. And you know, and and my therapist said but have you been going to meetings? And um, the nice thing is for anyone who is still in quarantine, no matter how long this may last, whether it's voluntary, self-imposed, um, you know, whatever, is you can find resources online. They do have online meetings. If you can't get to one physically, or if you don't call the helpline, because some people don't want to call on the phone, phone anxiety, I get it. You know, as extroverted as I am, I still don't like making calls sometimes. <laughs> you know, please don't answer, please don't answer, please don't answer. Um, and nowadays in our new technological world that we have, you know, um, there's apps. The, the NA app is, is phenomenal. You know, not only does it, you know, keep a, a clean time count for you and, and congratulate you on your anniversary and, and give you virtual key tags, but it tells you um, daily meditations, you know, the material that you should read for step work, and it directs you to every single meeting during every single time period anywhere with the click of a button, which I didn't have that, you know, back in 2000, 2001, 2005, 2000, you know, the, these are, are emerging technologies that are helping those who struggle with addiction. Well, that's fantastic and to have virtual it, access. It really is. It really is. And, and I love the fact that, and, and, you know, shout out to any mental health providers out there. If they, they don't know about these resources, they should. Um, you know, one of the best, I'm going to give them a shout out because it's, it's what I do is in the rooms.com. Um, you know, it's just, it's very easy to get in there. Um, you know, there's, there's the, you know, two sides to, to meetings. There's, you know, getting hope and strength from other people's experience. And then there's the side of, you know, the, the newcomer that you remember what it was like when you first drug your tushy into one of those meetings because you'd hit rock bottom and it was awful. And, you know, and, it, and it's awful, um, you know, the withdrawal from, you know, some of the drugs that, that I did, not, not just physically, but, but moreover emotionally, you know, the toll that it takes on, on your mental health. I mean, sure, yeah. <laughs> the physical toll it takes, I'm sure it's there. Um, but I think the mental toll was far, far worse. Um, you know, and for me, 
I'm one of the people who um, they, they call it dual diagnosis because when you're in NA or AA, you're supposed to abstain from you know any type of drug. But first of all, I still love my caffeine and nicotine, but also because I suffer from depression and anxiety, I am medicated for that. And so you have to walk that fine line of, you know, um, and, and I'm, I tattle as much as I can. I go back to that still. I've never, I've never strayed from that. Anytime it comes to a doctor, a dentist, whatever, you know, I, that's one of the first things I tell a new medical provider is I'm a recovering addict. You know, um, in the state of Florida, they passed some, some pretty hard laws for opiates, which again, not for me, but um, that was a huge problem in the state of Florida was, you know, all these pill mills that, that everyone would go and they'd get their oxycodone or hydrocodone. I don't even know what kind of dome because I wasn't into that. But, you know, we have these really <clears throat> strict laws that, you know, you can only get like three days worth and then you have to see a provider, which is great. Um, but like when I had one of my, my teeth pulled, you know, I told my dentist, I told the the surgeon, I told the receptionist, like, you know, and, and sometimes I think that that's, you know, as far as Rick, you know, that's, I'm sorry, my husband. Um, I don't know if he's as comfortable with that as I am, but I have to say, you know, this is me. I need people to know, don't offer me these things, you know, cause the doctor thinks, you know, doesn't think anything of, you know, oh, you just had your tooth pulled, you know, here, have some narcotics. Here's some pain meds. Yeah. That he thinks yeah. he's doing his job. Right, right. Yeah. And, you know, and I will say that, that to me, it's a blessing. Um, the, the one time that I did have, I had the tooth pulled and they, they gave me a, I think it was hydrocodone. I don't know. I took one, I had a very bad reaction to it, which was probably my own anxiety over taking a narcotic rather than an actual reaction. So it scared me. Yeah. Your yeah. anxiety, I'm sure had a lot yep. to do with that, yep. you know, yep. worried about a slide. Yes. And although interestingly enough, um, for those of you who don't know, I have when I, I have a wonderful dentist who does sedation dentistry because I have obviously awful teeth, not just from the drug use, but also because I'm scared of dentists. Um, and <laughs> I had to explain to her the reason why I have such a reaction to lidocaine and novocaine is it's part of the cocaine family. So my body reacts like, oh my God, we're going to get high. Let's get excited. And right. so I, Ooh, I get here twitchy. It comes. Yep. So I get a little twitchy, but you know, I, I kind of also understand that I'm, I'm not going to get addicted to lidocaine or novocaine. So it's not a worry of mine. I'm not going to make, you know, a whole bunch of dentist appointments just to get shots in my mouth. All right, guys, calm down. It's not happening anymore. <laughs> so we're not on the um, novocaine trail. <laughs> but you know and uh, but it was very it was very refreshing uh to have a, an understanding dentist by the way that you know i i was able to go back to her and say um you know i, I need to do x-rays for my teeth and she's like you know you're not doing i'm like so this is what happened <laughs> you know i had this relapse and i spent the last you know six months or year you know doing a lot of things i shouldn't have been doing and she's like, I get it, you know, and, you know, and thanks for sharing your story. And, you know, and, and it's, it's nice to have that welcoming environment instead of, you know, the people who don't understand that just kind of write you off as, you know, someone who's a drug addict, um, you know, and I know that going forward, you know, from here, 
um, because this time was so much harder. Um, I spent many therapy sessions talking to my therapist of why is it so much harder this time than last time? And he said, you know, and, and we walked through that last time I had a, a lot better, greater motivation. I was facing prison, <laughs> you know, um, and I also took extreme measures to get away from the people, the places, the things. And, you know, and that's kind of one of the things that's a lot harder now is that, you know, a lot more difficult is, you know, I still can see the people, I can still see the places and I can still see the things. And so I have to be extra vigilant right now. Um, I don't know why um, the pandemic per se this quarantine, because, you know, we've been at home 163 days. And for the most part, we have not left the apartment. Um, for me, it's almost like I think the world had to stop so we could catch up. And the world stopping took a few of those irons out of the fire for me, um, you know, whether they were real or implied. And in, you know, in the beginning of this, it, you know, I, it, thankfully, I had the, the foresight to say to my understanding husband at this point, I said, you know, we can either have the house clean or I can be clean, but we can't have both. And, you know, not that we like to live in disorganization and disarray, but that's what it's got to be for now. But no, um, but you have to put some limitations on some yes. things too, so that you yes. can prioritize. It's not that right. you're, it's not that you're wanting to live in squalor, but you also right. have to say, okay, today I need this to be a me day. I need to get yes. better. I need to feel better. Um, you know, those things. You know. Yes. You know, you may not, uh, you may not get the dishes done that day, but you may have accomplished something else. Well, you know. And and that was that was kind of the. I don't know the word for it. I'm, I'm going to say that it was maybe a, a bonus, but that's still not the right word. Um, because we've been on our own individual journeys through hell and back together. When I started working at home and I explained to him, you know, either I can be clean or the house can be clean. Somehow, I don't know if, a, you know, a, a switch flipped in his head or what, but um, whether he knew it or not, he started picking up some extra slack. I noticed it. Um, I don't know if he did, but you know, it was, you know, and I, I tried to be as, as, you know, appreciative and, and acknowledge it as much as I can, because that has helped me a lot. Um, you know, and I, I try to, you know, save my, and I, and I try to break things down into more achievable goals. Uh, and I think that's, you know, for anyone who's dealing with a lot of, irons in the fire. That's very important is, you know, not everything has to be done today. Um, you know, for example, my, my work, um, I, you know, I do insurance defense right now. I'm working from home. I have the ability to work overtime. I have the work, which would keep me busy for 12 hours a day, seven days a week. But I also know that emotionally, I can't handle that. And physically, I can't do that. So I have to set my own limitations. I have to be aware of them. And I have to, you know, um, I have to constantly tattle on my disease. I have to check, you know, all the boxes this time, you know, and, and I will, you know, they always say, you know, keep it one day at a time, one day at a time. And, and I never realized that 
until this time, specifically this year, this experience, this time round. And it almost feels better than the first time around because the first time around was very easy for me. Um, and I, 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 if we're talking about a higher power, not religion, higher power, if you're talking about, you know, divine intervention or whatever, um, I remember back, back then the first time I thought, well, this is, this is easy. You know, why do other people have it so hard? Now I know. Now I've been through, you know, the second time where it wasn't easy to get away from everything. I didn't have, you know, um, all the extra help that I needed that first time, you know, this time I really struggled. And so I appreciate it so much more. So, you know, not to say that you didn't appreciate your sobriety, uh, the first go around and, and everything along those lines, but do you think that you appreciate it so much more because of the fight, because of the absolutely. struggle? Absolutely. You had to work, you had to work harder for it. Absolutely. And, and to be fair and honest, I don't think I appreciated it the first time because the first time it was so easy. I never really thought about it. I was more focused on, you know, staying out of jail, uh, getting my degree, make, you know, I, again, being married to the military, it was, it was a, a totally different beast, but you know, there were days, weeks, months where I didn't even think about it, you know? Um, but this time, um, you know, the struggle was so hard. I mean, um, you know, con and, and I know that, that I know that I lost friends this time around, uh, because they didn't understand the struggle with relapse and addiction. And it was just like, Oh, again, again, you're starting over again. But those that are in the rooms and in the program, they get it, you know, they understand. And, you know, and like I said, I have a, a great therapist who, you know, even, you know, even if I said to him today, oh, you know, I, I relapsed, you know, he would just say, okay, now what? Let's move on. Right, Get how back do we on fix the it horse. from here? Sure. Yes. Yes. And, you know, and that's, you know, very important. And, you know, and, and I am still working through a lot of the shame, a lot of the guilt that, and I didn't have that, or at least I didn't know that I had that the first time around. Um, so, you know, this, this time in quarantine, which again, I, you know, I, I lament on the fact that, this could have been absolutely devastating for me. You know, if, if, if I had, you know, made a different decision or had any number of things, if any of those things were different, you know, I could have been having the, the party of my life and probably, you know, a very poor ending. Um, but I am so grateful that right now that desire is gone because, you know, I'm, I'm actively aware of it. I tell, any, any inkling and iota, you know, um, I tattle immediately. I don't, I don't even care who, like I'll run downstairs to my neighbor and I'll be like, Hey, <laughs> um, and, and I, By will, the way, I will, have she... we talked about my addiction? <laughs> <laughs> well, actually she does know that, um, you know, cause, uh, I, well, uh, she had offered me a beer and I, you know, it was one of those things that I, I tell people, well, I don't drink and, you know, and they, and they immediately assume <laughs> that it's alcohol and it's not, um, I just don't enjoy it, but that gives me the opening to explain I'm an addict in recovery. Sure, to um, talk about other things. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I will say this, um, I'm going to, I'm going to burden, burden my soul to the world. Um, within this time at home, 
during, I don't even know what, I don't know what we're doing. We're cleaning out my closet or something like that. Um, uh, drug addicts are notorious for having stashes. You know, they stash it from this, themselves. They stash it from others. They, you know, it, it doesn't matter. You know, um, I thought that, that this house was completely clean, completely empty of, of all, you know, paraphernalia or, you know, actual drugs, you know, I <laughs> flat out. And Rick actually got one of my old purses that, that I only use like once a year, once an occasion. And, um, and he found one of my stashes and <laughs> he was like, um, what do you want me to do with this? And I'm like, well, get rid of it. <laughs> it doesn't it was, need to stay. <laughs> yeah. I appreciate that, that he brought, you know, like, I know that his intention was like, I want to be honest with you and tell you what I found. But there's this, you know, that, that was his thinking. My thinking was, no, just, if that happens in the future going on, just get rid of it. Just it, dump it, flush it. I don't care. Don't tell me. That's a temptation I don't need. Sure. Um, you know, and, you know, and that, and that was, that's also kind of one of those things that gives me this great appreciation that when he told me I, there was no hesitation, I didn't think twice. It was even you know, better. Yes. Even better. Yes. And, you know, and that's, and that's, and that's part and parcel of, of this whole, I'm going to tell everyone if there's even this inkling of it, you know, cause if you think that people can't get, they're, you know, drugs of choice in quarantine, you're wrong. You're dead <laughs> yeah. wrong, actually. Yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm certain they make deliveries. <laughs> I'm sure they do, too. They're going to go where the money is. So right. let, let me ask you a question. Uh, sure. Because in some of the reading that I've done on those who have um, uh, addictive personalities or impulse control issues, uh, things like now I, this is not something that I have struggled with, but I've had some family and friends who who have struggled with addiction at different levels. Um, now, one of the things that I, as I understand it, um, is that some of the advice that you're given is to, in fact, when you're going through addiction, is to not look at things as the big picture. But right. in, in order to help you to get through things, instead of looking at the big picture, I've got to do all this, is to break it down into smaller conceptual ideas. How does that help someone who's going through addiction to break it down into something smaller? So one of the things that they first tell you when you're a newcomer is 90 meetings in 90 days. And um, it, it, each meeting is an hour. And if you can get through this hour, it, like sometimes I actually... I, you may have seen it, my sassy shirts. I have a shirt that says one hour or one day, one hour, one minute, one second. And, you know, if one hour is too much, let's break it down. And, and I use this dealing with my anxiety too. You know, if, you know, if one hour is too much, let's focus on the next 10 minutes. If 10 minutes is too much, let's focus on the next minute, you know, um, especially in the throes of an anxiety attack. This is very helpful, but also with addiction. Um, you know, uh, I've heard people give some of the best advice at meetings where, you know, even if you're not ready to share, you know, just go and sit your butt down and listen because something might click with you. And so, you know, they tell you it's one hour out of your day. It's one hour where you don't have to listen to your kids scream. It's one hour you don't have to listen to your wife complain. It's one hour where you don't, you know, and that, that actually resonated with me. Like it's one hour 
away from the rest of the world, away from people that don't understand, away from all my responsibilities, you know, and, and, and that's actually very similar to me going to the dance studio. You know, when I walk through that door, everything stays outside because I'm focused on my feet and what they're supposed to be doing and the music and, you know, and so it's that same sort of therapeutic, you know, very small increments. And if I can get through, you know, this hour, you know, like if I have a craving, you know, if, if I'm watching TV and all of a sudden something comes on that triggers me, you know, and, and they do, you know, you, ha you have to be aware of what your triggers are. That's, that's very, very important. You know, um, you know, if I'm watching whatever and all of a sudden they're doing, you know, whatever it is that I, that triggers me, I need to stop what I'm watching. I need to focus on something else, you know, even if, you know, cause that craving's there and I'm like, ah, I want to use drugs. Let's focus on the next 10 minutes. Let's get through the next 10 minutes. Let's, let's call someone. Let's text someone. Let's, you know, put on some music. Let's go for a walk. Let's take the dogs outside. Go take a shower. Anything that will get you through that moment that gets you through that craving. Because cravings don't, you know, they don't last forever. You know, I mean, <laughs> you know, when you're quitting smoking, that's the same sort of thing that they tell you. Your cravings only last five minutes, you know, and then your brain goes somewhere else. I don't know if that timing is true, but I use that as my baseline. Um, you know, and, and again, I've been very lucky that as far as the actual drug use, the cravings have not been there, but that applies to so many, so many other, you know, areas of, of my life. And that is part of the program. They tell you apply these principles to all your affairs, you know, when you're doing your step work, um, you know, and, and you're learning about the principles of how the program works, you know, the things that work to keep me sober will also help me put my life back together. And somewhere along the line, I didn't get that the first time. I had to repeat that mistake because I didn't get it. You know, honestly, the first time I went through the program, I never did step work. Um, I didn't, you know, I, I mean, I went to the meetings, I ran meetings, you know, I was, I was in, you know, Fort Hood, Texas, and they only had one meeting once a day. Um, and, and actually they only had it, uh, they didn't even have it every day. They had Tuesdays and Thursdays, and I think Saturdays. So, you know, um, one of the conditions when uh, I, you know, uh, got away from prison, one of my probation conditions was that I had to go to NA twice a week, which is really hard for a court to enforce because it's an anonymous program. Um, but, you know, everyone signs off on the little sheets and whatnot. And, you know, and the problem was I used to panic because this was during when I was, you know, in school as well. You know, I was, I was on, at in-campus type school, not online. And so if a class ran late and I couldn't get to the meeting and I would miss a meeting, I'm like, oh my God, what am I going to do? And, uh, you know, and one of the first sponsors that I really had, you know, she had said, and this is also very common in NA, it only takes two to make a meeting. And, you know, and so you get two addicts that sit down and, you know, they can back and forth and back and forth it. There's your meeting. Um, you know, so it's, there's, there's a lot of wisdom and a lot of knowledge that I have, but I haven't tapped into in a long time. And I'm, I'm applying that now, um, you know, very common. Um, and, and again, I'm, I'm using generic terms. Um, they always say, let go and let God. And a better way to look at that, because we don't like to talk about the religious stuff is what can I control versus what is out of my control? Um, right. for example, for example, Last year, I had a job with, with a law firm where um, 
you know, one of the things I have to do is I have to have my work reviewed by an attorney because I'm, I'm not an attorney. And I had this attorney who was, you know, saying, you know, just do it, just do it. And I'm, no, I'm a registered paralegal. Um, this is, this, it, practicing law is a criminal offense, by the way. Um, you can be prosecuted. Um, right, just, absolutely. Yeah. You know, not, they, they can take my license. They can, you know, you know, and I'm very aware of that. You know, I've, <laughs> I'm afraid of the prison monster. Um, <laughs> and, and I was very upset because, you know, I stood my ground and I said, I'm, I'm not going to do this. And, you know, and, and it became this hard line. And I said, well, I can't control what they're asking me to do, but I can control if I work there. And I ended my employment. You know, that's, that's the principle, you know, you control, you know, do what you can control, handle what you can control and what's out of your hands, let it go. There we go. Set your line and yep. know where you're at. That's what I was trying to say. Had yeah. an audio issue there for a second, yep. but okay. Excellent. So another question, here's a question I like to ask uh, all my guests. And so, because I think that, that this is a question that applies to everyone's situation, no matter what they're doing. So, or what, whatever it is that they're dealing with, I guess is a better way to say it. If you look back at the entirety of your experience and not to boil it down to one sentence or anything along those lines, but what is the one shining star a piece of information that you have taken from this that affects you? What is the best advice that you have gotten from this? Mm, that is tough. <laughs> um, I, I'm not going to break it down to one sentence because there's, there's two that, That's that, fine. Really, that, that really resonate with me. And the first is relapse is not a life sentence. Um, no matter how many times, you know, because there's a guilt that goes with, you know, relapse. Um, you know, if, if you've had 16 years of sobriety and you relapse, what does it matter if you use one more day, you know? And the other, which obviously this is totally applies. Um, the other is I share my story because my story may be the key that unlocks somebody else's prison. And even if, you know, even if my addiction doesn't apply to them, maybe my anxiety does, or, you know, the, the, you know, mental illness, you know, getting help with that, you know, whatever, you know, I share my story. Um, you know, I've, I've, I've kept it, you know, mostly rosy for, for all intents and purposes here, but, you know, um, in the rooms, you know, I, we, we get brutal, we get honest, you know, you, well, and, sure. and, you know, and, and it has to be, you have to have, you know, it, you have to be honest with yourself first, because I did a lot of lying to myself in those, you know, uh, first couple of months uh, in addiction, uh, you know, in relapse, active addiction, relapse, uh, and we use those, you know, uh, synonymously. Um, but definitely, you know, it, relapse is not a life sentence. And you know, my story may be the key that unlocks somebody else's prison. And I, and I think that's the most, you know, hit me like a ton of bricks, you know, like, because listening to the stories that I did, you know, I wonder which one was it that unlocked my prison? You know, I, I don't know, but, but I know that it was somewhere, it was something, you know, and, and it might've been the guy that said, Hey, sitting in a meeting, you know, even if you think you don't need it, 
you know, you need it. Even if it's just one hour away from all your responsibilities or, you know, the cats and the dogs fighting or whatever, it's a place where you can go and get some, you know, serenity and some peace and, you know, and either you get hope, wisdom and, and experience, or you remember why you don't want to be that newcomer sitting with day one, you know, so... Well, you know, and I think your your second piece of advice there about unlocking mm-hmm. someone else's prison, yeah. sharing your story, I think that goes very well, almost hand in hand with what we're doing here, you yes. know, um, because if you go throughout all the episodes, people are sharing what they've done or what they've uh, endured in their life and how they got through it. And that's the thing, we, you know, we, we look at the positivity of it. Yeah, you've had some issues, that's mm-hmm. for certain. Uh, you've had some things to overcome, some things to work on. But I do, one of the things that uh, I think is worth noting, and, and so for the listeners, um, Stacy, uh, in my opinion, is one of the most positive people that I've met. Thank uh, you. <laughs> you're um, ridiculously positive. Uh, <laughs> and you've got a, you have a great outlook on a great many things. And, and so that's, that's why I was, I was so hopeful that you, when I asked you to be on the show, that you would say yes, because of your, your outlook on things. Yeah. Um, and also, Stacy is one of the more giving people that I have ever met in my life. Um, so just a little a bit of background. Uh, Stacy and I met on Facebook through uh, a music challenge group that we're both members of. Uh, last year, when my daughter Kendall was in the hospital, uh, Stacy uh, volunteered to send my daughter uh, some gifts. Now, uh, what she may not know is that when, that, when those gifts arrived, um, we had just come back from ICU and we were in the rehab hospital and uh, Kendall still, you know, she was at that point, she was still in an electric uh, electronic wheelchair uh, and still mostly paralyzed from about mid chest down. Um, She had very little hand control. She could steer her, you know, her, her little deal around there um, and trying to go to rehab. So she was very down, very blue. And we came back uh, from ICU to her bed being covered with cards. And, and, and then there was this box, this big box. And so um, just, I never, you know, I, I've said, I, I know I've typed the words thank you to you, but I think it's also important for you to know how big of an impact that had on Kendall. And it meant a lot to my wife and I. And so kudos to you. That was amazing. Um, And so, but those are the type of things that I I think are are important for people to focus on. It's not the fact that you've had issues in the past. It's the type of person you are and the way that you, um, you interact. I see your interactions with people and the way that you, you talk to people, the way you treat people, uh, the kindness that you exude. I think those are the things that we need to focus on, especially in, especially this year. (laughs) Absolutely. So, Absolutely. But uh, I, I just want to take a moment to thank you person to person and, and tell you how much that meant to us last year uh, that you did that. And, uh, and so, but anyway. Um, You're welcome. <laughs> You're going to make me cry. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. I'm, I'm trying not to as well. Um, but I, I do want to thank you for being on today. Uh, thank you for being open. Thank you for, for sharing your story. And I'm hoping that your story is the key that locks, unlocks somebody else's prison. That would be fantastic if it did. Even if it just kind of, you know, tells them that there's a file hidden in the cake uh, yeah. and they got to they do a little work to get to it. I think 
I think your story has uh, immense power to it. So thank you so much. And it's been a joy to have you on today. Thank you for having me. All right. I think that will conclude us. And thank you for listening to Focused on Forward. (laughs) Well, that concludes another episode of Focused on Forward. To be a guest of Focused on Forward, you can reach us through Twitter at podcastfof, through our Facebook page named Focused on Forward, or through email focusedonforward at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing each and every one of your stories that has yet to be told. So until then, be safe, be kind, and be loving to one another as you stay focused on forward.